All right, let's go to the scripture reading for this morning. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Uh, let me go ahead and read this for us. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden his, your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, let's pray together and let's go into God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray uh, you will speak to us through your Holy Spirit. And to the degree that this is indeed your truth, we are hearing nothing less than your very voice. Uh, so give us ears to hear you, and let your sheep hear you and follow after you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, rest is an important thing. It's good for our, us in all sorts of ways. It's good for our mental health, physical health, spiritual health, relational health. It frees you up to invest in all kinds of good things in your life. It even makes you more productive at work. Rest is good. It's important. Um, but did you know that according to the Bible, rest is good really for your eternity? Uh, it's because rest is the very sign that you've been saved. Okay? The fact that you're able to find rest in God points to the fact that you're saved. So never mind your physical health. Rest points to your eternal health. It's about whether you're saved. And, and with all of that comes a warning, as we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews, and really with any serious gift, right, comes with instructions, comes with warning for neglecting that gift, misusing that gift. And um, the disregarding of this rest could mean, according to the author of the Hebrews, you're either drifting away from this salvation or you've never really received this to begin with, if you've never entered this rest or understand the, the importance of God's rest, Okay, so how do we go about checking ourselves uh, and examining ourselves whether we, we are entering into this rest? Here's, here's one way, by asking, uh, do we understand the, the logic of God's rest, the necessity of God's rest, and the goodness of God's rest? Okay, and I want to just expound on these three points with you today. The logic of God's rest, the necessity of God's rest, and the goodness of God's rest, all right? All right, here we go. Uh, number one, the logic behind God's rest. Uh, last week I mentioned 
whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask the very important interpretive question whenever you approach the Bible is, what is the word therefore is therefore, right? And by asking that, you tap into the context of the Scriptures. You should never look at one verse of the Bible and pick that out and develop a whole system of theology based on that one verse. You should look at the context. And words like therefore point you to the context. Now, here's another really important thing that this word gives us, and that is a logical structure for a given passage. And what's really amazing about today's passage is the word therefore comes up not once, not twice, but three times. Three times. I think this passage might be the most logically structured passage in the entire Bible, just in my personal opinion. Um, first, it comes up in verse 1, and then verse 6 again, and then verse 11. I want to just go through verses uh, 1 and 6 first. So take a look at verse 1 and 6. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Here's the logical point that's being weaved through these two verses. If the Israelites who failed to enter Canaan and the Israelites who had entered Canaan with Joshua were all looking forward to another day of rest, okay, then the logical conclusion from that is that rest is not and was not found in Canaan. That's the logic, okay? There is a better rest that still stands, still remains for God's people. Verse 5, uh, quoting Psalm 95, where David is speaking to the Israelites, warning them not to be like the forefathers who failed to enter the promised land. Uh, and again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. What's fascinating about this is that David is speaking to the Israelites and warning them about failing to enter God's rest when they're living in the promised land. They're living there. They have a kingdom established there. And God is telling them, hey, make sure, make sure you don't end up like your forefathers and fail to enter my rest. What's the logic here? God's rest is not, again, it's not found in Canaan. It's not found in any physical plot of land. Verse 8 Again, the same logical point. If Joshua had given them rest when he led them into the land of Canaan, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Okay. God's rest is not the one that Joshua led his people into. Okay. And it's not the one that David gave to Israel either. It's not Joshua. It's not David. It's Jesus. Only Christ can lead you into God's rest. And for those of you who have been following our series since the, since the beginning of the book of Hebrews, you've been hearing this over and over again, right? The theme of this book, that Jesus is better, right? This has been the entire theme of the entire book so far. The author is repeating this refrain, Jesus is better. You want to focus on the, the Old Testament prophets from long ago? No, focus on Jesus. You want to focus on angels? No, focus on Jesus. You want to focus on Moses? No, focus on Jesus. Now you want to focus on Joshua and the land of Canaan. Focus on Jesus. Okay, that's the, that's the logic. Here's something really interesting. Did you know that the name Jesus is really Joshua in the Greek? Uh, Yehoshua in Hebrew is Jesus in Greek. They're the same name. It's like 
John and Johann, where they're the same name, just in different languages. So here's what the author of Hebrews is essentially presenting to his audience, Jewish Christians who are very familiar with the Hebrew language and the Greek. He's saying, there are two Jesuses. Which one are you trusting in? Okay. Uh, you know the scene in um, Infinity War where uh, Peter Quill meets Doctor Strange for the very first time? And they don't know each other, so, so they think they're enemies. They fight, right? They have like a cool fight scene with one another. And then um, Doctor Strange asks Peter Quill, which master do you serve? Remember that? And Quill goes, which master do I serve? What am I supposed to say, Jesus? And inside, when I was watching that scene, I was like thinking, yes, that's exactly what you're supposed to say, Jesus. But what's interesting here is, there's a follow-up question. Even if you were to say, yes, it's Jesus, the follow-up question is, which Jesus? Is it Yehoshua or Jesus? Okay. The one who takes you into an earthly home, a temporary physical plot of resting place, or the one who takes you into the heavenly home for your eternal rest, which is it? Okay. Which will you trust and which will you follow? And the author of Hebrews is saying, trust the one that can take you to the heavenly home because that's the one that your forefathers really look forward to. They entered Canaan, but there remained for them, and still remains for you, a better day of rest. Okay? And he's reiterating this point that he made in chapter 3, when he said, Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Not Yehoshua, Jesus. And he says it again later in chapter 11, in case they missed the point. He says this, But as it is, they, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your forefathers, desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. A city. And we know what this city is from the vision of Apostle John in Revelation 21. It's the new heaven and the new earth. Jerusalem. That's the city of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. See, this city, this better country, listen, this is, this is fascinating, is not something that is here on earth that God then enters into. It's something God brings with him when he returns. In other words, it's not found here. You will not find this resting place on earth. He brings it down from heaven on the last day with him. Prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Some people think, no, we are doing the preparing here. And, and Jesus is going to descend in that land that we have prepared for him. No, he's preparing it for us, and he's going to bring it down and give us the dwelling place. That place does not exist on earth. And I'm sorry to say it doesn't exist in Atlanta, Georgia. And it doesn't exist in L.A. or New York. 
It doesn't exist in Hawaii or my favorite city in the world, Hong Kong. It doesn't exist here on earth. And it, by the way, it doesn't exist in Ivy League schools either. It doesn't exist in Fortune 500 companies. It only exists in heaven, in the kingdom of God, that Jesus is going to bring down to earth. And that's why we're taught to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Why would we pray that if it's here? Your kingdom come, and come quickly. That's the prayer that we're taught to pray. So, the logical conclusion here is found in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, that rest, no other rest but that one. That's the logic of God's rest, okay? Now, a brief additional remark before we move on to the second point. Um, twice passage, the, the author warns against disobedience, okay? And that's because disobedience keeps us from entering that rest. So, the, the, the question then is, Okay, what is obedience? What are we supposed to obey? What, what is the command to follow? And let me say the first part to this, and the second part we'll hit on uh, later. The first part of the warning is, don't chase after a permanent resting place on this side of heaven. You won't find it. Don't disobey this call to enter that rest and look for rest here. You will not find it. Fix your eyes on Christ. Focus your attention on your eternal home. Paul says this much in Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Right? Your, even your true life, to the degree that you are in Christ, you're united with Him, your life is not even here. Not only your resting place, your life, your true life is not even here. It's hidden with Christ above, who sits at the right hand of God. It's hidden in your king, who's bringing his kingdom down to earth. So seek the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Don't occupy yourself so much with metaphorical canons, whatever that might be for you, okay? whether it's a house that you buy, whether it's a graduate degree that you, you acquire, whether it's a job, a career path that you secure, let the author of Hebrews assure you, you will not find rest there. Not in marriage, not in parenting, not in anything here on earth. Fix your eyes on things above, your spiritual Canaan, your eternal promised land. Okay. All right, point number two. Why is this necessary? And I think we've already addressed why it's necessary. There's no other rest. Let me talk a little bit more about why this is necessary for us today. Here's why. Because God's rest wasn't given as an option. Option for a small group of people, ethnic Israel, in a small plot of land during a specific time in history. That's how often this is perceived when we think about God's rest, God's Sabbath rest. This was given to us from the very moment of creation as a creation mandate for all humanity, for all of us created in the image of God. That's what verses, 10, verses 4 and 10 are getting at. 
For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Think about God's rest. Think back on creation when he rested. That's what that means. Verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You want to find God's rest in your life? Think upon God's rest in creation. So when we trace it back to when God finished creating the world and he rested, and we, we, when we look to that and draw clues from that, what we find is after he had created everything, what did he say? That it was all very good. Remember that? He saw that it was all very good. Everything in creation, very good. Just imagine that for a moment, if you can. Not a single square inch in the entire universe that was bad, that was dangerous, that was harmful. Not a single square inch. Everything was complete. Everything was finished. Everything was delightful and enjoyable. That was God's rest. That was his Sabbath. And you and I were created to enjoy that forever, eternally. Now, what is the problem of sin, essentially, in relation to that? Remember what happens when sin entered the world. Uh, We were cast out of the garden of God, cast out of God's rest, into exile. And we've been trying to work our way back back into God's rest ever since. Because until, here's a, here's a necessity, until we enter this rest, we will not regain our humanity. Your life won't make sense fully until you find this rest. Okay. We'll be restless until we find our rest in God. Um, Harvard Business Review, they conducted a survey of 12,000 employees at one time. And it's all companies and uh, sectors of business and industries. And here's what they found from that study. They found that employees are only satisfied and increasing in their productivity when four of their core needs are met. Four of their core needs. Here they are. Physical needs, which means the need to have regular opportunity for renewing yourself, recharging yourself. That's provided for you. Two, emotional needs which means the need to feel valued and appreciated by others for your contributions. Nothing is missed. Nothing is forgotten that you've done. Number three, mental needs, which means having the opportunity to focus on the most important tasks at hand that you're gifted to do, and you feel rewarded doing it. And and, and your tasks are, are clearly defined as well and delegated. And lastly, spiritual needs. And by that, they mean feeling connected to a higher purpose, a purpose bigger than yourself. When, when all four of these things are present, they said we're completely satisfied with our work. When one of these things were missing, they said there's something missing in our work, and it's making it difficult for us. Here's, here's why I'm really sharing this with you. The necessity for God's rest. This kind of rest, having all of your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual needs met, that rest where everything, like literally everything is good as it was in creation, that need isn't just something that is being biblically proclaimed. It's gone beyond that. Now it's being scientifically proclaimed. Okay? It's not just, in, it's not just biblical, it's empirical is what I'm trying to tell you. 
So how much more should we as Christians be pursuing this rest? You know, people, there are people who think, you know, about Christians. I'm generalizing a little bit, but, you know. How naive do you have to be uh, to believe that there is a heaven, you know, where all of your needs are met and, and everything is perfect? How naive of you to think that, right? The sentiment is out there. What I find ironic about that is the very people who say that will go into work and work to achieve that heavenly rest. Strive for that very rest that they mock about heaven. And try to in their office, on their campus. This is a part of our humanity. It's part of the imago Dei, the image of God in us. That's why we're pursuing it. We're going to work looking for rest. I, I don't know if you knew that. When, when, when you're working, you're really looking. You're looking for rest. When you're studying, you're really looking. You're looking for rest. We don't find it there very often. So we get frustrated with our work. We get frustrated with our studies. It's never all good. It's never finished, right? It's never complete. Not every scringe. But that's what we were made for. And no amount of vacation days, right, will comfort us from this. Uh, No amount of weekends will free us from the, the Sunday scaries, right, about what's coming on Monday. The work is never done. The exams are never done. The evaluation is never over. It's never all good. And the author of Hebrews is saying, you're looking in the wrong place for something all good. It's not here. It's not found here. It's not in any physical plot of land. You'll never find rest in your work. You'll never find rest in your studies. You'll never find complete rest even in your loved ones, in your marriage, in your parenting. Here's what he is doing. He's validating your desires. You're looking for the right thing, right? You're looking for the right thing. You're looking in the wrong place. You're looking for the right thing in the wrong place. And so this is as C.S. Lewis put it, like a child who, who would rather go on making mud pies in a slum because they cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We would look for the kind of rest that we can get, the temporary rest we can get when we do enough work, do enough studies, build enough friendships, and forego the rest that Christ our Savior offers us eternally in the kingdom of God. I mean, just think about this with me. Don't answer this question, but I'm going to ask you this question. How often do you think about heaven? There you go, right? How often do you think about your work, your next vacation, your house, your marriage, present or future. Compare that to how often you think about heaven. Right, there we go. Fix your eyes on things above. Your life is hidden with Christ. You can't go about justifying yourself and proving your self-worth through your work and your performance. I mean, that's what really gives us rest. That's, that's what you're really fighting for. You end up being 
this character, Harold Abrams, uh, in the movie Chariots of Fire. I, I probably mentioned this. This is my favorite movie of all time, Chariots of Fire. There's a runner in that, an Olympic runner by the name of Harold Abrams who says this to a friend right before his race. He says, now in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? Okay. He's running to be accepted and approved and be justified in his existence. This is why I'm worth being here. That's, to me, the epitome of restlessness. Okay. Working so you prove your existence, the justification for your existence. That's restlessness. Then what is being restful? What is resting in God? Understanding you have been justified by His grace, by Him finishing the race for you. That's why this is necessary for us. Only in Christ do we find a Savior, a King who says, it is finished. It's done. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Only He can say that to us. Only Christ, receiving His perfect life, sacrificial death, His resurrection, can make you believe you are complete and you are finished. Promised now and given to you when He returns. It's trusting Him when He says, I'm making all things new. That means I'm making all things very good again. I'm bringing my kingdom down to earth. I'm, I'm renewing everything by the power of my resurrection. And that's what we're here to remember. On the day of Christian Sabbath, right, on the Lord's Day, we're gathered here to re be reminded of the necessity of this good news, the good news that we can be citizens in the kingdom of God where we belong unconditionally, without having to perform for it, without having to earn it. That's the good news, that in Christ's resurrection, you have your proof that you will be made new, and you have been made new. And in Christ's resurrection, we see the this, this statement by Abraham Kuyper coming true, that there is not a square inch of this entire universe over which Christ our King doesn't cry, mine. That's what resurrection proves to us, and that's what we're here to celebrate and be reminded of every Sunday. And so this is why, even though the originally Sabbath was observed on a Saturday, the church began to gather to worship more and more on Sundays. And you see that all throughout the New Testament, that they gather on the first day of the week on Sunday. And I have some scripture references here on the slide, but I'll summarize, um, summarize them for you. They gathered on the first day of the week to break bread, to hear the apostles preaching, to give offering, and it was officially called the Lord's Day by the early church. Uh, interestingly, Saturday Sabbath was, if you look at Acts 18, when Christians would enter the synagogue to convince and convert the unbelieving Jews and Greeks. Saturday became a mission field. Sunday became the day for Christian Sabbath and worship. And Sunday is where we get a glimpse of heaven. Sunday is where we get a glimpse of our eternal Sabbath in Christ by worshiping Him, by being reminded of the good news and resting in the good news. 
You're here to find rest. We're here to catch a glimpse of heaven. You're not here to be exhorted by any preacher. Let us now pack our bags and move to Canaan and find our rest. That's not what the author of Hebrews is saying. He doesn't say you enter this rest by packing your bags and going on a tumultuous journey. You enter this rest by faith in Jesus Christ, which is strengthened through your worship and the hearing of the word. For good news came to us just as them. Right? Another fascinating verse. The gospel wasn't just something that was just preached to the New Testament saints. The gospel was preached to the Old Testament saints. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Why not? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Believe in Jesus. Have faith in Him and His gospel. That's the call. And we need this. This is necessary for us. Otherwise, we'll only be looking for the right thing in the wrong place. Running and working and studying and marrying and parenting and saving and buying to justify our existence. Been justified. That's the gospel. Now let me close with this brief point about the goodness of this rest. Just let's press into the goodness of this rest just a little bit more. Here's something that Paul Tripp once wrote. Hope is not a situation. Hope is not a location. Hope is not a possession. Hope is not an experience. Hope is more than an insight or a truism. Hope is a person and his name is Jesus. Now, he wasn't commenting on this passage when he wrote that, but it's really what's good about what this passage is talking about. This passage is true. If this passage is true, that we find our rest in Jesus, and that means no change in your situation, uh, no change in your location, no loss of your possessions can ever rob you of your hope. Right? It doesn't matter how bad your struggle can get how badly you've failed, how great a loss you've suffered on this side of If hope remains in Jesus and you realize your life is hidden in Him, not in your past, but in Him, you can still enter this rest and live on. Take the next step and live on. Live another day in the new mercies that are waiting you. Don't let hardships and trials, tribulations, or persecutions in your Christian life make you think, oh, I must be, I must be something wrong. God must be abandoning me. No, you're, you're still walking this journey. You're longing for better rest. That's what you're doing. You're longing for a better rest that this world offer you. Did you know that Jesus had once compared the Christian life to a woman in labor? A woman in labor. And he says that anguish and pain are overcome by the joy in receiving the child that has entered the world. Now, can you imagine a woman in the middle of her labor 
saying to a doctor, hey, doctor, I think there's something wrong. And the doctor says, well, what's wrong? I, I, I feel tired. I'm exhausted. And the doctor will say what? No, that's totally normal. Right? Keep going for the joy set before you. It's the encouragement we receive from the gospel. It's okay if it's weary, tiresome, burdensome at times. Sometimes, it's, sometimes you really find rest, and sometimes things are really good, and that's okay. You should thank God for that. But there are seasons when it's just really hard, and you're tempted to give up, and many do give up. And I have friends who've given up. Sometimes it's because they're confused. Why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult? Because your rest is not here, it's there. It's with Christ. Don't give up. Hold on to Christ as He's holding on to you, and you enter His rest. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we ask for your help in holding fast to us when we are not able to hold fast to you, and that you would encourage us with the good news of Jesus Christ who promises us that he will make all things He will make us new. Will you encourage us with this news today? Help us to press into this gospel further today, even outside of this service Throughout the rest of the Lord's Day, may we press into this good news with our meditation upon your word, with our ministry for others, serving one another, with our fellowship with one another, with our physical resting. God, continue to help us press into this rest and, and catch more and more glimpses of of the promise of your true eternal rest for us. May we put all of our hope in your Son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.